Our guest today is Ambassador Yusuf Al-Oteba. He's the ambassador of the United Arab Emirates to the United States, and he's been in that position since July 2008. He was our guest today at the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth, and I think you'll enjoy his comments. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us on Global IQ Minute. The UAE, particularly your Air Force, has been a key and essential participant in this coalition combating ISIL. What can you share with us now about the role that your military is playing? And, and then give us your, your really candid sense of, of how this is going. It's important to understand how we see the extremist threat. And we see the extremist threat as an existential threat to our culture, to our values, and to our society. So whether it's at the military level or whether it's on the financing or on education, this is something we take very, very seriously. I think the military part, the air, the air campaign and the airstrikes are just one component. And it's usually the more visible component because it's a military engagement. But uh, not just is that piece important. I think it's important to focus on all the other things like cutting off financing, like education, like dealing with promoting a more moderate version of Islam. Again, we're not going to be extremists unless we employ all of these sort of uh, methodologies. And we have to continue to promote a more moderate narrative of our societies and of our religion. The air campaign is just one piece, and we'll keep with that piece until we degrade ISIS. But we have to degrade ISIS through a battle of ideas. Since 9-11, there has been an effort, though, to cut the financing to some of these extremist groups. What are we not doing, or what can we do now to really be successful? I think this is a, this is a challenge where you're only as strong as your weakest link. And there are some countries who are doing a great job in terms of terrorist finance. There are some countries that I think can do a better job. And we have to get those other countries to, to take the issue as seriously as we do. You know, we've talked about this before, Your Excellency. The vast majority of Americans really do not understand Islam. Um, and how do we uh, do a better job of uh, having Americans understand that there are different schools of Islam? And, and how is UAE really addressing this uh, internally as well? That, that is an issue, Jim, that falls squarely on our shoulders. Explaining Islam is our responsibility. And I will be the first to admit that we have done, not done a good job of explaining what moderate Islam, what peaceful Islam it really stands for. We have to promote, we have to do a better job of, in, of educating people of our religion. Historically, that hasn't been the case. There have been some clerics who issue fatwas, who are on the social media, who end up having more followers because they are extreme. And you mean within the Arab world? Within the Arab world. Uh, I think the two places where we have to focus and the two areas that have uh, a certain level of credibility and legitimacy is Saudi Arabia because of Mecca and Medina, and Egypt because of Al-Azhar. The more those countries speak up for Islam, they have certain legitimacy because of the centers that they house. Now, the UAE can have our religious leaders step up and promote more modern version of Islam, but the UAE is not a center of gravity for Islam the way Saudi and Egypt is. So I think we have to make sure those two countries speak up for more modern Islam, and they have, they have, but we need to make sure those voices drown out the radical clerics who are calling for jihad, who are calling for hatred, who are calling for, for violence against civilians. You know, Morocco has really been taking a leading role in this too, hasn't yes. it? Yes. And I think countries like Morocco, countries like UAE, countries like Jordan, 
we all have a responsibility because those are the countries I see as moderate examples of, in the Middle East, and we have to make sure those countries infect the other countries around them to become more moderate. Now, the UAE has been certainly blessed with uh, uh, enormous oil reserves, very strong progressive economy, but countries such as Egypt are, are, are not so endowed. How has your country been, been helping Egypt, and, and do you have much, uh, much hope that you can move things around there? I think so. I, I think Egypt is such a crucial part of the Middle East, and the way we see it, Egypt is a pillar, and we want this, we want this pillar to remain moderate. We want this pillar to remain secular because Egypt is one of those, those countries that have the effect, that can affect countries around it. And we want Egypt to be able to affect the countries around it in a positive way. So we want a moderate, stable, successful Egypt. It is not in our best interest for Egypt to fail. And like I said before, it's certainly not in the U.S.'s interest for Egypt to fail. So I think we collectively have to work together to make sure Egypt succeeds. We have to make sure President Sisi succeeds. It's not going to be easy, but if we all get behind him and work together as a team, we have to for our national interests and for the stability of, re of the region need to see a stable, moderate Egypt. Can you be more specific about some of the steps that the UAE has taken in Egypt? On the economical side, we have taken a, a series of projects that you know an average Egyptian can go in and touch and see that this has ultimately made his life a little bit better. So some of the things we're doing are building wheat storage silos. So Egypt is actually one of the largest wheat grower countries in the region, but because they have no storage facilities, they end up importing wheat, which makes no sense. So we're going to help them build wheat storage facilities. We've helped them purchase some public transportation buses. We've helped them purchase railroad crossing safety equipment. We are trying to help them with their energy supplies. So these are things that ultimately people can come in and say, you know, since, since in the last year, uh, the UAE has helped make my life just a little bit better. And I think ultimately that's what we want Egyptians to feel. They want to, we want them to feel that Egypt is on the right path. Are you getting support from other countries, say like Saudi Arabia, and yes. the same type of yes. policies? The, the Saudi Arabians, the Kuwaitis, and us are all invested in the success of Egypt. Each one will do something different, and that's fine, and actually that's preferable, because we all have different skill sets. Uh, but collectively, we've all come to the conclusion that Egypt needs to succeed, and how we help them is something that we will continue to debate and discuss among us, but we're all invested in Egypt's success. You've been ambassador now in Washington since uh, two th 2008. Um, what are some of the greatest challenges you're facing right now? It's always been more or less or different forms of the same challenge, which is trying to articulate the U.S. view to my leadership back home and try to articulate the UAE view to the leadership here in the U.S., we are very much aligned in terms of the strategic sense of where we want to go and what kind of region we want to live in and ultimately what the long-term goals are. We are very much aligned. Sometimes we have disagreements on how to get there and we kind of argue over tactics and not strategy. So my job is to make sure that we continue to be aligned, both tactically and strategically. And as the environment sometimes gets a little more unstable, while some people think that that is a challenge, that actually provides us an opportunity to bring ourselves closer together. Mm -hmm. I think the coalition against ISIS is a perfect example. It's going to allow our countries to cooperate more to defeat ISIS. 
and that's going to bring us closer together. So at the end of the day, while ISIS is going to be a challenge, the byproduct is going to be stronger U.S.-UAE coordination. You know, speaking of getting closer together, let me ask you to be Minister of Tourism for a minute. Um, many of our listeners uh, are, are in cities where Etihad and Emirates already fly direct. We're so excited here in Dallas-Fort Worth to have Etihad begin flying in December. Why should I go to Abu Dhabi? Let's see. If you're trying to go to the Middle East um, and you want to see an open society and you want to feel safe and you want to go shopping, or you want to go to the beach, or you want to go to a world-class conference, or a concert, or a Formula One race, or a Guggenheim Museum, or a Cleveland Clinic, all those things are in the same place. And if that's not good enough, then you can go to Burj Khalifa in Dubai, or you can go to the Media City, or the Internet City, or one of their incredible malls, or the indoor ski slope. There is no shortage of things to do professionally, socially, for leisure, for entertainment. You know, people say you go to New York because you have so many options, whether it's Broadway or restaurants or nightlife. I think the UAE has been become a destination because they have so many options, because they're welcoming, and because it's safe. Well, the flights are full, so I know you're doing something right. They are. And nobody's more excited about having a direct flight from D.C. to Abu Dhabi or Dubai <laughs> than I am. Believe I've me. Been. Thank you so much for joining us on you're Global welcome. IQ Minute. You're Appreciate welcome. it. My pleasure.